0: Hey everyone, um, welcome to your first 2021 Squadcast. Um, that's a weird thing to say. It's also February, so we actually missed uh, most of January. So happy New Year, um, happy Black History Month to everyone out there. It is—it's been a wild January, so I hope you can understand why we were um, majorly distracted. By everything that's been going on in our world, how does that sound? Um, I'm here, obviously, with my podcast partner Liz Um, uh, My name's Courtney Ham, and we're happy to talk with you today.
1: Yes. So, yeah, it's it's been a lot. Um, 2020 held on for a hot minute at the beginning of January, and you know we had the capital insurrection. Um, all of the uncertainty about whether or not Trump was actually going to leave office. Um, Then Biden was inaugurated. That actually happened. I feel like we were all holding our breath for that moment. Yes, Like just holding it and holding it. And even after it happened, I don't feel like I could really breathe um, normally (laughs) for a bit. Um, You know, we got to see all the inauguration festivities, the amazing Amanda Gorman. Um, I just have to mention, um, for our Forever Flotuses, um, wine fashion moment and how I audibly gasped when she walked in. I was like, oh, wow. She's just the most gorgeous human being of all time in my book. And, you it know, we're a, still... Um, <laughs>
0: I just want to just interrupt for just a second is to say, that, like, that was a pantsuit moment. Oh, and dang. Shout yeah. shout out to all the women before her that have been giving credence to the pantsuit. The pantsuit is alive and well it's amazing
1: she She gave me like a like a not to disrespect the flotus but the forever flotus but like a spy who shagged me kind of vibe like she looked like she could also be working for the cia and running the world and like i don't know she's just amazing and i love her so much um i felt like lady gaga like was like awestruck by them and I when she was like (laughs) talking to them I was like that's how I would be although I probably wouldn't even get any words out because I just think they're such lovely human beings and there's just such a like it was like a really bright moment like I felt like my cold little cold dead heart like had like swells of patriotism Um, I was like is that what Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. is that that feeling um so I just cried a lot on Inauguration Day, actually. Um, oh, I wept. I
0: kept yeah. crying.
1: Yeah. It was It was just like, oh, like, okay. Like, we have been through it collectively for the last four and a half to five years. And granted, you know, of course, um, Biden is not perfect. But there is no doubt in my mind that things are going to improve. Albeit slowly, but things are going to get better. And... His flurry of executive actions that were all so much in support of a more fair and a more equal U.S. were very encouraging to me. And, you know, all of this has been happening while we're still in a pandemic. So there's just been a lot, a lot still going on. Um, And I'm excited to be back here with you and and talking and reflecting on all this because, while all this is going on um, in the background, we're also still, like, practicing social work. every yes, day. Every so, day. yeah, it's a lot. And Courtney started a new job. I did. And
0: it is um, – it's a lot. I, You know, like, new jobs are really funny um, because you're excited, you're ready to go, and then um, – well, sometimes. Sometimes you're ready to go. But sometimes – then you're like okay what am I doing and then you're in a bunch of like maybe meetings because at this point in my professional career there are a lot of meetings and uh, yeah and so you're on like WebEx or Zoom and then you just like you're by yourself so like you get out of the meeting instead of like having like a little chat after the meeting or like going to have lunch or like debriefing or processing. None of that stuff is happening.
1: There's no informal like colleague time. No, zero. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and, and everybody's just sitting there like Bernie in his mittens. Yes, exactly. Just after the meeting, you know, just shout out to Bernie for solo.
0: giving me like a little bit of life, even though I literally am not his fan. And it has nothing to do with his politics. It's just a personal preference. But I am like, Bernie, thank you. And I just I I mean, there's so many people who've unpacked why it's cool, but also I think it's cool that he was just like, Yes, we're in a pandemic. Yes, I'm gonna sit over here,
1: right? Like And I'm gonna be comfortable yeah. and bundled up yeah. and I'm gonna wear these really adorable. Um, like home, homespun mittens over here.
0: Yeah, I'm going to represent who I am at all times. And I think that's, you know, anyone can learn from that, right? Like, just do the thing, be yourself, and people are going to judge you and you just have to let it go. Um, so, yeah, I thought that, like, after we did a little bit of, you know, a recap, I did want to sort of trot out this weird work issue that I'm having. Um, and I don't know if anyone else has come across this, but here's, here's what I'm facing. I've been thinking about this for, I guess, all week. What I've found out is that a colleague of mine who's in, in a, you know, a similar position, right, we're, all kind of, we're on the same team, she is in the struggle zone, Mm-hmm. And I could tell that because obviously my feelers of social work came up. were on video. Your Spidey sense. Yes. My, her video, um, the way she looked on video, the way it seemed like she was a little glazed over, overwhelmed. Um, sometimes people can't, please don't try to hide that on your face. Like it's kind of actually a good cue. Um, and I ended up making a note like a couple weeks ago, don't send any more information to this person. Um, just a reminder to myself that she was overwhelmed Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't even know. Like, so I opened up the conversation because ethically I think that's what you're supposed to do. Um, And I just said, Hey, like, let me know. Like, I'm just, I'm a little, um, I, I, I sort of was like, Hey, I'm overwhelmed. Right. So I just tried to make it about me and see if that would open up a conversation. And it did. And she's really struggling. And I don't know if you've ever had this. If you get the sense that someone's going to quit. Yes. Um, So I don't want her to quit, but also if the thought has crossed her mind, then it's halfway there. Right. Sure. Um, So my dilemma is right now, if you've come across this is, do I reach out to anyone uh, like my manager our chief of staff, who's basically also our manager, Is do I give her another week or something? Um, or do I intervene, right, and, and do that in a way that seems very chill, if you know what I mean? Yes. Now, the caveat for me is that, like, we are obviously virtual. <laughs> We're a virtual team. Um, I work for a corporation, so different... I think there's different mechanisms with that. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not like a nonprofit, a small place. Like we're just all chilling together and we're friends and things like that. Like we are getting to know each other and we're in that stage. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to bring this to the squad cast and to anybody who listens. And if anyone has come across this scenario and I genuinely want her to succeed. Um, And I don't want this to come across as a power move. Sure. Sure. So that's, that's my conundrum right now.
1: Well, it's so hard, like without like the basis of like a good, like coworker relationship, because everything is virtual. It's made it more complicated and it's, it's hard to, it's like, there's again, like, cause because there's no informal time, there's no, like a lot, a lot of opportunity to gauge, you know, how someone's really doing. So you're getting like snapshots of them and Of course, you know, since you're on probably a pretty relatively small team, you have to think about the impact on like the clients, of course. Mm -hmm, Right. Like, what is that looking like?
0: Yeah, that's, that's my concern um, that, and she has two jobs at this point. And we talked about how it feels like she has two jobs. And I, I did a little bit of coaching, right? I was like, Hey, like, talk to your manager punt things to me, right? Like, try to make this as easy as possible for you. Because at the end of the day, there's young people that are going to suffer because you're in a meeting about strategy when you need to be in a meeting about a case. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just wondering. And I thought about reaching out to a colleague right inside the team. And then then I was like, No, you can't do that. Because it's not. That's not fair, right? That's privileged information. Sure. Um, but for some reason, I I can't figure out if there's a move at all, right? Yeah.
1: It's hard. That's a hard one because it's it's just not very clear cut. Yeah. But it But it's it's important. Like it's obviously very important. Like to figure out what to do to make sure that the clients that you guys are serving don't feel like this, like the impact from it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Have you ever run into this?
1: Mm, I'm trying to think. I don't think that I personally have, um, but I, to be honest, I probably have been that person just in full disclosure, like where I'm just kind of, I was overwhelmed and, kind of checked out um did anyone
0: ask you if you were overwhelmed a client oh yeah I've had (laughs) clients do that to me too Uh, I I love how they're like are you stressed
1: are you okay I know yes I had a, a really lovely therapy client um so like I mean it might make sense if I like give the background of like my mom was really sick she'd had like a recurrence of her breast cancer and she was going through chemo again. And I, I'm an only child. So I was like, you know, carrying that weight and walking with her through that. And, um, I was just exhausted in every way, but obviously like I couldn't quit my job. So I still had to keep working. And, um, you know, I I had a hard time asking for what I needed around my mental health because, you know, I was a clinician and I was supposed to be doing mental health. And so, um, I just remember my client going, "Liz, uh, are you okay? You look really tired." It was just like I am oh really God. tired. And I was like, I am really tired. I am okay. And like I I don't know if this is appropriate, but I was like, um, I just have a lot of family stuff going on right now, but I'm I'm okay. And like yeah. you know, this time is for you. Let's focus on you. How can I be, you know, how can I be there for you? But it was kind of like a wake-up call for me around like, oh, like I look as bad as I feel on the inside. Like it's it's yeah. external. So um I feel like It's hard because granted, like, it was a different time. It was a different time. You know, four four scores, four scores seven years ago, um, pre-coronavirus. But, (laughs) um, you know, I was working alongside colleagues that knew what was going on with me, you know, that I feel like were trying to show me grace and, like, not put additional things on me. At the same time, I was working in a medical organization that didn't really have a very good understanding of, like, trauma-informed care, trauma stewardship. Um, like the impact of doing direct clinical work with like really vulnerable folks and like how that just takes a toll on you on a normal day. Um, so it kind of makes me think like what kind of structures might be in place for her to get some support. Like, you know, it doesn't sound like you guys have like much of a relationship yet, but like maybe offering like, you know, would she want to do like a coffee chat once a week? You know and just yeah. kind of be a friend to her if that makes yeah. sense and then you know if she mentions she's like like if she talks more about what she's going through maybe like you know say like or like what I always say when I think someone's having a hard time I'm like well I go to therapy and it really helps <laughs> me. so like if you're at a point where you think you'd like to talk to someone I'd be so happy to help you get connected with someone this
0: is, you know we are like two like weirdly subtle like creatures like both of us do things like that like I I remember I said to her yesterday well my therapist told me just like dropped it in the middle of a like sentence right yes yes Um,
1: normalize mental health yeah I was like
0: yeah I was like well I you know I go to therapy I I was like oh yeah sometimes I do yoga you know just like trying to be really clear about the fact that like oh my god like it's okay also I I mentioned to her what my therapist had told me which was um the advice to slow down right like none of this is going to be built in a day you are in no way getting fired this early right. um you're actually showing up to meetings participating and doing the things so um you're in a secure place and I think that um I know there's one manager that I felt like reaching out to like a hundred times being like hey like basically the question would be hey if if I knew someone was struggling, what's, what what do I do with that information? Right, like,
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah. Where do I? Hypotheticals are always good. Yeah, yeah. where do? <laughs> yeah, asking
0: for a friend. Wink, wink.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> and I think that it would come off as me, which is part of the reason why I don't want to like hypothetical it, but mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. also like
1: maybe you could just say like another like like a, a like um another person that I know that's working for our company yeah yeah that's true yeah like so it's like not as like you know close like where they'll be like who is it on our team or what can we do for them like so it's like more like more vague um that might be okay it's it's hard to know it's hard to know um and you know maybe just like Like, offering to, uh, like, help them, like, talk through their task list, too. Like, you know, what is the most overwhelming thing for you right now? And is that something, like, you have questions about or I could be a support for for you? Like, I don't know. Like, just trying to figure out what is the source of the overwhelm? Like, or is it there a more specific source? um, versus like just general overwhelm, um, because, you know, they're doing a new job during a pandemic and, um, that's, you know, it's, it's a hard time. Yeah,
0: it it is. And, um, you know, the only thing I know about her is her name. She doesn't have children. She's white. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, she's working hard. And, um, so, I just feel like, um, yeah, it's, it's just a weird, it's a weird thing to wrestle with. I think that, um, if we were in person, it would be easier for me to just like silently give cues. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or, or something like that. And I don't want to focus on someone else. Right. I also need to like bring back the focus to myself, um, uh, shout out to Al-Anon meetings, which I try to attend <laughs> every single day um, yes. to try to get some, you know, serenity, which is a fun word that I don't understand. But, um, you know. It, what is that? I know. So I'm just, exactly.
1: I'm just kidding. You it's, know, it, it's very it's,
0: aspirational. Very, I like it. Yes. Very. I like it. Yes. I, I've, all the things. Um, so, yeah, I'm wondering, like, yeah, am I just overwhelmed? Right. Am I just, like, projecting or something like that? But
1: I my lot la- in my lap. well it's kind of I feel like a recurring theme of our of our squadcast we kind of have talked about like like you said like you can throw someone a rope if they're drowning but you can't make them swim yeah so it's like just that re- like remembering and re- like reminding yourself of like what the limitations are to s- providing the person with support you know and mm-hmm. yeah I think that's always really healthy and good like just to say okay this is how much I can do this is how much I have you know, and the rest of it is kind of on them, like, to reach out for what they need. Um, But I always want to feel like I did, like, whatever I could, you know, like, I offered, or I listened, or I, you know, provided the support, and then it's really up to that person how they proceed, you know, Um, because, man, that's hard for me, to be honest. Like, I want to fix everything still, and I'm constantly working on that um but i i know i think right? it's so important to like especially when you know that it's going to impact other people especially like vulnerable people you know it's like no like this really does need to be fixed or you know get better mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah
0: absolutely yeah i wonder too like i ha- in my last job i really got very firm with myself and i was like no you're not working on the weekends you're not working past the time that you're done like but also my brain turns off. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wonder if I need to like revisit, um, that sort of hard boundary. Um, and also like, I'm coming off the addiction of case management and sure. the adrenaline of case management. And, um, I'm sort of detoxing from like being in charge of You know, collaboration or coordinating someone's life and their resource access, and um, I think that's a sort of a longer unfolding. So I think if I think through this in my weird Al-Anon way, like I do, sort of look for situations, right? So I think that's why I'm like treading carefully and saying, like, okay, am I just making some up? I'm making this up, right? And I think social social workers in particular are so sensitive to other people, and we're so sensitive to what's going on around us that and we do have some intrinsic knowledge i mean like we just do um because of past trauma or you know education mm-hmm. and, and all the things right so um yeah i just i'm glad I'm glad I trotted this out because I do think that like it is something we come in contact with but I will read stuff on Twitter and online about people getting fired for admitting weakness right admitting they have mental health problems admitting they've thought about suicide like and I just wonder what the lines are right at all times right
1: Right, because even during a pandemic we're still in this like capitalist performance oriented driven place in our brains like it's like you know like all the people everybody that's like been like why am I having a hard time doing things or like I can't seem to find energy and I'm like there's a meme and it's like the therapist the therapist is like am I on am I on mute because the therapist keeps going because you're in a global (laughs) you're in a global pandemic because it's a global pandemic and they're like I just don't I can't get it together am I (laughs) am I on mute anyway that's like how it feels because it's like None of us have the normal level of energy, like, especially I think for like empathetic people. I this has been like honestly, like, I feel like I'm just starting to kind of like process a little bit. But the last like five years in the United States has been has wreaked havoc on anybody who has a heart, honestly, yeah. and yeah, especially people like in social work and you know more than that like you know black and indigenous people of color and lgbtq folks like i mean the layers the people with disabilities like i mean just all the layers of trauma that have come from having a person in power that literally did not give an f about anybody for four years i mean like i think we're all still kind of processing that and um you know I have found myself, like, like it's like my brain is still on, like, the little, like, hamster wheel of needing to know what's happening all the time. Yeah. And then I'll, like, go to pick up my phone, and I'm like, oh, wait, like, we've been left with a responsible adult. Uh-huh. Yes, like, have. we There's a Two. responsible Two, adult. Two, Two. that are smart and kind, compassionate people who seem to be working really hard to make things better. Yeah, right. And I have to, that's like my new mantra. Like I go to like check the news and I'm like, you know what? Do I really need to do that right now? Like, what is that going to do for me? But it's like a compulsion after the last, like, you know, four years where every time I turned around, I was like, oh, what else is happening? Like, it was like, I was in like, you know, having like the fight or flight response, you know, and it was just,
0: um, yeah, yeah, flight,
1: fight or freeze or freeze or fall now there's like a lot of- did you say fawn I- fawn mm-hmm. yeah i love that one that yeah, one is that one. so
0: yeah That's it's like me. the four <laughs> f's really it's flight or fight freeze or fawn um yeah and those are now our you know encapsulating trauma responses there will be more for sure mm-hmm. um i think freeze is great for sexual assault um just as a off topic but um yeah, I think that, like, every time I turn on the news, I am like, oh, that's really chill. That's really chill. You know, like, yeah. like I'm just waiting for some, like, panic. And, you know, what's funny is that um, the day after the, uh, the inauguration, I listened to NPR, which I hadn't listened to NPR in four years uh-huh. because I felt like they were just skimming the surface and I was annoyed
1: by it and but normalizing it. Like like, like legitimizing like very weird things. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I was I was a diehard MSNBC person because I felt like that they were the alarm system for me. And I that's how I felt, right? Mm -hmm. Um and now every time I turn on MSNBC, I'm like, yeah, this outrage I, this is a higher level than i I agree with, right <laughs> so like yeah. I just turned it off and it was like a switch for me um and sometimes I check in with nPR sometimes i don't um i, I at this point I'd rather read about it than mm-hmm. um listen to it, which i think is interesting because i mean i was i was binging m s n b c all the time, yeah uh, about Trump and about this yeah. and it was.
1: It was like a light switch. It's just like someone needs to help me make sense of this. And I need to feel like my feelings are not, like, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. There are other people that also think all of this is not normal. Right. You know, it's, it's (laughs) you know, like, it was really, I think maybe it was, like, almost, like, our, like, antidote for, like, being gaslit. Yes. Yes. Like, it's, like, everything was telling us, or, like, all of, like, not all of Well, it's just, like, on, like, the role that, like, media played and like how they covered the former president and I think I'm gonna put a swear jar in my house where I have to like put a dollar in every time I say his name because I just don't (laughs) want to have any more presence or power in my life Um, but like how they covered it and how like they would say with like the most like normal newsy tone like something so outrageous yeah like it's like it just got it became so common to hear like President so and so tweeted today, or like President so and so announced their new policy on da 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 via tweet, and it was just like ha- that became normal, but it was so abnormal. Did you and have
0: like, a reaction to like that kind of news?
1: I well, I feel like it was every day I would like tune in to something to figure out what was going on. Sure, and, yeah. and I I wasn't surprised anymore, but it was just like cumulative there was just a cumulative like despair I think that that set in and you know even some of my most like engaged friends like who are like politically engaged I feel like towards the end were just like so weary you know like it was just a very very long four years and of course like you know there are folks who have the privilege to be weary and the folks that don't and will never have the privilege to be weary but it was just like it was a it really was truly like a trauma for everyone. I think to to be living here for the last four years. If you had like any sort of heart or conscience, like it was just so hard to like watch things happening. Yeah. I mean, you're exactly right.
0: I support that statement one thousand percent. It was. It's just been really hard. And when um when you can't think about anything else and you forget about certain things, there was a news story on today that has been just sort of like killing me a little bit. And, you know, before we wrap up, I just want to touch on it is that um, in California, of course, which is our main source of food, there are farm workers who have never been sent home. There are no social distance, right? No masks, right? right? They're, they're almost vulnerable. They're also undocumented, the majority of them. And of course we have a very high undocumented population in um, the United States of America. And, the story was about how to give out the vaccine Mm, and mm -hmm. I am half vaccinated. um, So I got my vaccine a couple weeks ago and the process to do that involved an ID, the process to do that involved a computer. It involved many steps in which I had, you know, my proverbial shit together, right. In order to do. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have identification, you're undocumented. um, And you're actually producing the majority of the food in this country, How in the hell are we going to be able to protect them as human beings? And I know that if Trump was still in office, I wouldn't have even been able to get to that story, let alone be able to think about it. But also now I'm horrified um, more so than anything Mm -hmm. about the vaccine process. And I didn't know if that was was something you thought about or...
1: Yes. And I, I need to find this article and I'll send it to you. Maybe we can talk about it next time. But there's, of, of course, like as in every process, there's so so much privilege. And like, the I think the article was about how like the New York City Department of Public Health prioritized like a predominantly like lower income and immigrant and person of color um, neighborhood and I can't remember which neighborhood it was in New York city, um, for vaccine distribution. And somehow like all of these, like, like wealthier, wider folks, like figured out that there were appointments available and went and took them. Wow. Because again, like all the things you just mentioned, where it's like, they had the privilege to like, know what to do, where to go, how to go, what, you know, all of those things. And so I was like, oh, my God, like, people are still, they're colonizing, like, vaccine distribution. Awesome. You know, like, just thinking about, like, even the most well-intentioned departments of public health that are really trying to figure out how to get it um, to the most vulnerable folks. Because we know how, like, disproportionately um, Black and Indigenous people of color have been affected by the virus. It's been so much more deadly. Right. Right. Are you there? Hello. Sorry, did you leave me for a sec? Okay, so I'm sorry. I did. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I was like, um, oh, no. where I'm where on my phone at? and I had a phone call, and I think when that happens, it like cuts out or something. So sorry. Um, yeah, I was just saying it's just so insane to think about how, um, those commu- like communities that desperately need the vaccine, like also like like it's like it's just like the whole pandemic it's just exposed like even more so like the the just like disgusting level of inequality that we have in this country and how literally like your privilege like can keep you alive and that's what i keep thinking about whenever i see these stories around like more privileged folks having better access to everything like along you know health and like communities and information and, you know, it's just, it's, it's pretty daunting and there's a lot of work to be done. And I also like, I had some guilt about getting the vaccine a little bit. Cause I was like, I'm not particularly old. Too, um, sure. I'm not, young. I'm not young either. I'm no right. spring chicken, but I'm not in that like, you know, older adult group yet. Um, and at the same time I was like, well, you know, with my job working in the school system, um, I do, I do need to get it like, because we are likely going to be returning back to in-person school somewhat soon. And, you know, um, I have some vulnerable folks in my family and, you know, uh, my, my stepdaughter is pregnant <laughs> and, you know, I was just like thinking about like, I, I'm not just really doing it for myself, but for others. And so, um, anyway but there was still like some guilt that came with it around like oh but there's so much mo- i'm not by far the most vulnerable person on the list um and still get to do this so yeah
0: yeah it was it was a hard it was a hard and easy choice to go ahead and do it um i'm glad i did but at the same time like i'm just I just don't understand why we need identification on multiple levels, honestly. Um, And I just, I just feel like that if someone says yes to a vaccine, just give it to them, tell them to come back in 21 days, have, have the vaccines on hand, don't make it more complicated than it has to be. Um, And find people who speak every other language besides English to try to get the word out that this right. is actually happening um and i mean of course i wouldn't expect america to have you're the united states of america to do any anything with compassion nope. or empathy honestly at this point <laughs> um but um you just you have this effervescent hope that like maybe right. they'll get something right and you know, like, yeah, I can support the fact that, like, we have a new regime um, in office, but they are under the microscope, and mm-hmm. that's fine for me. Um, yep. So, yeah, we can explore some of that more next time. Um, I really appreciate being able to have these conversations because mm-hmm. they're on my heart a lot. And um, I think social workers don't get to process a lot right, no, out never. loud because <laughs> we're too we're busy. busy. Yeah, exactly. Not with each other. Right. We're just more like, Hey, you're my friend. Can you help me? Um, you know, we're all friends. We're all, you know, trying to do the best we can for our um, communities. So I'm just grateful for
1: the ability to have conversation Absolutely. about it. It's definitely, you know, I feel like that's really what's gotten us through the last four years. And hopefully what will get us through the next is like finding our people and holding on to them as tightly as we can, you know, and being able being able (laughs) to you know check check each other and you know um be the antidote to gaslighting (laughs) you know for each other like this is real right yeah this is real okay you know it's normal to feel this way right yeah it's normal (laughs) I think we we all we all need yeah absolutely Yeah. yeah
0: super normal
1: yeah Well,
0: um, we'll wrap up here. I just wanted to give a shout out also to all of our new Twitter followers. I love Twitter, and we have um, been having some good conversations on there. And I think that um, I love social work Twitter hashtag social work Twitter. And I always learn something, and so I'm excited to continue those conversations.
1: Maybe still be here. I get on Twitter. We'll see.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I mean, like, whenever, take your time, it's, but it's fun. Um, I don't spend a lot of time um, on social work Twitter, um, just intermittently, but I do love the things that I gain from it. So if you, if you listen, if you have any questions, if you want to be a guest, please pop in um and dm me on twitter and um i'm excited about this year 2021 yes for me podcast. too
1: thank you guys for hanging out with us and um we'll be back soon not as long of a hiatus this time we promise
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we'll work on our scheduling yeah thanks everyone Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. hey courtney LOL. All right. <laughs> um, are you ready to kick us off?
1: I am ready. Let's do this. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Squadcast. This is Liz and the amazing Courtney Ham, And we are here on this very cold Valentine's uh, Day. And uh, we're excited to hang out with you for a bit.
0: Yeah, it's... Um, we're in Kentucky, so... Depending on where you are in Kentucky, it is either really snowy, it's snowy with ice, or it's just crappy, like gray cold. Mm -hmm, So mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, I hope that you have a good view wherever you are. Of course, if you're in other states, um, especially southern states, I hope that you're having a wonderful day. And I'm very jealous about the fact that you have good weather. Um, Yeah, so um, we're happy to be here. We had a couple topics Valentine's Day is one of them. I had a hilarious reaction when you said that. <laughs> um, and then um, we wanted to talk about mental health and access to mental health and the barriers around mental health access. And I think that as a like cis white woman, I've had barriers, which just means that the trickle down effect, as uh, also as a person with healthcare, um, has I've had barriers. So I know that anyone. At different levels has definitely had barriers so i think it's a good topic to discuss
1: well i first really want to hear your thoughts on Valentine's day now i'm super curious yeah so um as it, it,
0: it's funny is that i've been rolling my eyes at Valentine's day post i think mostly because it seems like a great thing for like straight women to do <laughs> yeah. and it just hit me that it was more like a straight gal holiday just when you said it. Um and I would love it to seem more like a cuddly like we all get together. Yes. Um and like be friends. But it I mean gal is in the in the the name. So I mean as a person who dates women, um it seems like every day's is gal is yes Wednesday. as it should be. <laughs> and so like I just think it's cute and very heteronormative for this to happen I also feel like that and I don't know how you feel like Valentine's Day but I think it's a good um it's a good practice because also I think it focuses on women as opposed to talking trash about men does that make sense yes
1: yes although so. a lot of them deserve to have trash talked about them but yes I, I think yes I think do. it's really um what what I kind of like about it and granted like I've never actually like celebrated it or had it thing but i usually well i tell my friends i love them all the time it's a little weird yeah no i love weird you, for them you, like but i i yeah do, yeah so um it's not unusual for me to tell my friends that i love them so maybe it's a little different uh for me um i don't know when i think about valentines day because I, I kind of for me um, every day is Valentine's Day in terms of like Aww. celebrating like my um, friendships and the people that I That's love.
0: Insanely cute. Why are you so cute?
1: <laughs> I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but it's no, it true. isn't. It's like, adorable. I, I don't need a special uh, day for it, but I do like the idea, especially because you know Valentine's Day is such a bullshit all the time for a lot of reasons. I like yes, the idea of centering around like friendship and other loves you know like non-romantic platonic love I think is what honestly has carried me through my life in a lot of ways and I like the idea of celebrating that even if it kind of has a cheesy little dumb name but um it's also about like I <laughs> I not to go off on a tangent but I had a young woman that I've kind of been a mentor and a friend to for I don't know I've known her since she was nine years old and we have this big like um not, not an ugly fight but like a big discussion about how like she refused to like label herself a feminist but she like mm. believed in all like ideas of equality wow. yeah and so I was like so you're like so you like you don't have you can label and call yourself whatever you want but I just am naming that like you have feminist beliefs you know and like there right. is a need right. to like name that um you absolutely can identify however you want but like you're, you do believe in equality and you do believe that like uh, women and like women presenting folks um, are marginalized in all sorts of ways. Um, And so anyway, it was just really funny, but like, it also reminds me of just how I talked to her about like how um, honestly my female friends have like carried me through my life. And I think to a certain extent with her, I kind of told her, it was like a privilege that she hadn't needed feminism yet. If that makes any Ooh, sense? Oh! Wow! Like I was damn. like I was um, like you haven't needed it yet, like because she had relied so much on like patriarchy, to be honest, like her, um, her father and her like like just things like that. And I was like, well, you know, like thank God you haven't needed it yet. But like when you're feeling like shamed and judged, like in a lot of ways by like society and by like by the groups that you're part of and that you identify with, you need a, like a philosophy and people who agree with the philosophy that like the things that are shaming you are bullshit. Yeah. You need that. Like you need that, that support to carry you through. And it's really amazing. She's like one of my favorite people in the whole world. And um, about like six months ago, she like was texting with me and she was like, so I guess, I'm finally admitting I'm a feminist. (laughs) I was like like laughing. I was like, you don't ever have to call yourself a feminist. I just wanted you to acknowledge that like, like gender inequality is real. (laughs) Like that that like you truly in your heart do have those beliefs you just didn't want to label yourself that way anyway so you are out here you're out here doing god's work listen to you (laughs) she's the best and if she's listening you know who you are and i love you because i think she listens sometimes but
0: well and i'm gonna support and uplift all of this because it's literally a feminist philosophy to empower women right and meet them where they're at i'm Mm -hmm. sorry like that's a social work tenet, but it's also a feminist tenet, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we would not have these different waves, right? Yeah. Otherwise we would not have to be like, no, sex work is work, right? Right. I'm going to meet you where you're at. That's how you decide you want to be in capitalism. That's how you decide that you're gonna, that you want to survive regardless of how you got there. Right. Right. I, it, it doesn't matter. Right. So like, it's really important to frame feminism as um, empowering, uplifting, has nothing to do with you being gay, right? Mm -hmm. Has nothing to do with hating men. Let's just go full stereotypes, right? Has nothing to do with you not wanting to shave your legs or like, um, you know, just, I don't know, just like shaming men or shaming like cis cis men in particular, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So if you reframe it, which is why you're a brilliant social worker, if you frame it in this other way, then yeah, you're allowing someone to come around to it, already knowing that they believe that men women all types of genders are equal yeah right like like every single one um yeah it's i mean it's just so complicated but it doesn't have to be right like we are fa- this country was founded on the patriarchy it if it was founded on feminism everything would be different right but there's there would still be problems right feminism doesn't solve the problems
1: absolutely right? especially like when we see that like white feminism <laughs> no, is, it doesn't is, solve the um, problem no i mean you know What was it this time? Mm -hmm. 56% of white women voted for the former president. I think. Yes. Yeah. And in a big fuck you
0: to the other white feminists or to the other white women. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Like, like it was like a big white woman war that I didn't, I didn't participate in. I didn't actually understand or know about because I've, I'm extremely filtered right at this point, but um, that's what it feels like. Right. Um, And you know, as a person in social work, right, we work, I work around white women, like, that is so many, especially in Kentucky.
1: Yeah, yes. in Kentucky. Yeah.
0: I mean, all my meetings with the state, all my meetings with um, an agency, right? It is white women um, doing their best feeling empowered about the good work that they're doing. And I want them to I want them to I also want them to understand that like, they're cutting off the only black person in the room. Absolutely. Consistently. You know, I was in, like, a small group in, like, a training uh, last week, and it was, like, four, five white women, me, and then there's one, there's one woman of color. Um, and she just kept, she's kept getting cut off. She kept, getting, I was just, like, eventually I said, hey, I'd like to hear her point. Yeah. Right? Like, and I, I it wasn't because I'm trying to, like, do anything. I'm not being subversive. I actually want to genuinely hear, hear what she's having to say. I've already heard you, lady. All day. Your-
1: all every day. Day. I've
0: heard yeah. you I know i and and you explain the problem and then someone has a solution. we have to hear all the voices, and it it's a microaggression yeah. that I wouldn't have known about right, except for through like the education that I've been able to receive um but I saw it and I was like, okay, like if I continue to let this happen i'm I'm also part of the problem. I'm already part of the problem, right I don't mm-hmm. want to make it worse mm-hmm. um. So,
1: absolutely, geez, my,
0: my dog is growling. I'm not sure why.
1: <laughs> he's like, he doesn't like microaggressions exactly. He's like, stand up for me. Yeah, come on, come on. Aww. He's a black dog, so that's yeah. why it's funny. Yeah, yeah. he's the um, best
0: Yes, so, anyways, I mean, I just think it's really important to do that. I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, because you know, also, if like women and you know, cis, cis women and cis men and you know, everyone of all genders and sexualities um, don't feel empowered, they're also not going to be able to access someone like you who can also help them access mental health care.
1: Absolutely. I mean, right? yeah. It takes so much strength for someone, I think, to be at the point where they're like, okay, like I've tried it all and it's not working and I can't do it and I need help. And then to get like so many doors slammed in their face it's just so incredibly disheartening. And I feel like this week I had several situations where I witnessed that firsthand. And as much as I was trying to advocate, I couldn't make the system better. If that makes any sense. It's like, I could like lead the system, lead the client to the system, but I couldn't make it work. You know, it was like, okay. So, you know, it sounds like this person or the, in one case it was a young person. It was like, this young person needs to have an emergency psychiatric evaluation. And one of the facilities here in town was full. So I kind of went to the next uh, next option. And they um, decided that it didn't meet the criteria for the child to be admitted. And granted, I'm not like team let's put kids in inpatient care. Like if they don't need it, you know. But it it didn't feel like they... Um, fully weighed out the factors, um, the risk factors and um, the situation. And, and I can't help but think that if they had been um, a white, wealthy white family, instead of a um, lower income immigrant family, I can't help but think the service they received would have been not saying better, because I mean, it wouldn't necessarily have been better, but the attention they would have received, I think, would have been better um, in terms of, like, being taken seriously and um, being treated with that um, level of urgency that was needed for the situation. Um, so, yeah. And I had another case where just it was, like, a friend who reached out to me and was trying to get a Spanish-speaking client into um, substance use treatment and they were getting turned down everywhere because the substance use facility said they couldn't accommodate um, language.
0: Yeah, that is an unspoken, very specific Kentucky problem. I mean, I know it's an epidemic like everywhere but there are so many substance use places, substance you know misuse places, right? for people to get help in Kentucky and they have spent uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. And they have left out an entire group of people consistently um, out to just die um, Mm -hmm. because they don't, I mean, and I'll say this based upon the fact that like I've been in like all these meetings, like, and I'm ignorant of doing it. Um, I've never once heard anyone maybe once or twice ever, but people don't say like, Hey, by the way, like does someone speak Spanish there? Right. Or does someone speak any other language? Does someone, does someone speak sign language? Does someone speak, um, you know, all the other things. And like, I, I feel so terrible for like that situation. I mean, I don't know the solution, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I know that it would, take some serious like figuring out especially with the heavy focus on like groups and things like that and inpatient but I mean there are like there are churches that do it there are conferences that do it like they have an interpreter that sits in the back and um interprets through a headset for someone Like, I mean, there are ways to do it there. Well, they do it in court. They do it in court. Yes. They do it in court. And that's,
0: that's why I think it's super extra weird. Like why this is not trickling down, um, appropriately. So, um, I'm going to make a note. Um, as a barrier, but also because it just needs to be part of the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Um, And the client that, um, my friend, um, was working with, I think ended up, um, accessing recovery through, um, like one of the recovery Kentucky programs, which I know have helped lots and lots of people. So please don't at me. I I know they've helped lots of people, but the particular substance that this client was struggling with, like would the client would benefit from medically assisted treatment and the recovery Kentucky programs largely, I think there might be one that's the exception and don't do anything surrounding medically assisted treatment. It's kind of a more traditional 12 step recovery. Um, And I was just thinking to myself, oh my goodness, like, I'm so glad that one door opened and hopefully that door leads to recovery for this person i wish them like the best in the world and at the same time i can't help but think but what if that one door that opened isn't the right door for this person And will they have another door to go through um so is it in their is it in their policies that they're not to accept MIT at Kentucky Recovery? So Recovery Kentucky, my understanding is that their philosophy is like very traditional 12-step, like no medication assisted treatment. Um, I do believe that there's a program. I'm not trying to like tell everybody, <laughs> but I do believe there's a program where they have had to adapt because of the way they receive folks who are um, who have been um, coming out of jails that have been started on MAT, they have to continue that. Um, so they will take the um, participants to um, like their um, weekly their or monthly appointments while they're staying at the recovery program. But largely um, my understanding is that the philosophy of the recovery Kentucky programs is not um, in line with like embracing MAT. And maybe that's an overgeneralization, but just in conversations I've had, it seems that the program that I was aware of that did work with medically assisted treatment um, was kind of the exception to the rule. Well, let's
0: just be very clear that Recovery Kentucky receives state and state and federal funding, as far as I understand. Yes, they do. Um, So then that barrier is what what I've thought about a million times over and how illegal it is. Um, because medication-assisted treatment is a physical health issue, Absolutely. and um, you can't re- you can't refuse um, someone's um, health
1: predicaments. But well, and I don't um, know if everybody here like needs a little bit of an overview of medically assisted treatment. Um, I feel like maybe that might be helpful. I'll try to do my best. And Courtney, please jump in. Yeah, of course. But totally. uh, medically assisted treatment. Um, is predominantly used for folks who struggle with opiate, opiate use disorders. So, um, you know, pain pills like oxycodone, hydrocodone, um, Percocets or heroin, um, and medically assisted treatment, um, provides folks with a medication, either, um, Suboxone, Subutex, Or, I'm not sure if I'm missing another one of those, but largely. Duplicate
0: is the long term injection, and And Vivitrol is the other one. Vivitrol,
1: yes. So, those are different methods, basically, of delivering the same medication that helps folks um, maintain um, themselves out of having withdrawal symptoms from the the substance that they're using, um, which really can help them um, kind of clear that first hurdle towards recovery by helping them not feel so terrible physically. Um, and Well, my understanding is that it
0: helps to curb the cravings.
1: Yes, as well. Absolutely. Right. Yes. So um, it, it helps in several different ways. And um, it's the most evidence-based treatment for folks who have opiate use disorders. Yeah, the most successful one. Yes. Um, so that's kind of why um, I think it's hard when you know, what someone has access to isn't necessarily the most evidence-based treatment for what they are struggling with. So, um, I think, well, and
0: not to say like AA is bad or groups are bad or the 12 steps are bad. Um, what we know though, is that it and this is like with mental health, generally, right. We have to go to therapy and we have to take the medicine, Right. right? So it shouldn't be different for people suffering. We've obviously stigmatized people who use drugs and so we're saying these drugs are only for special people, right? And these, these, this therapy, AA, is for everyone, right? right? So if you don't jive with AA, then you, you are the problem, right? Absolutely. And if, if you have medication, medication-assisted treatment, then maybe you
1: can't even come to AA because you're high. Right. That's how, yeah, right? that's how it's viewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, and there have been, you know, like, I feel like I've seen more and more, there are more, um, like AA and a meetings that are, um, medically assisted treatment friendly. So they're kind of like all rec- paths, all paths to recovery, um, friendly and open. And, and that's really awesome because I definitely think people being in community and having support and having people that can empathize and understand their struggle is, is huge, Um, at the same time, you know, I think historically when folks have tried to do AA or NA and they've been, um, using medically assisted treatment, um, there's been, um, a lot of folks who felt very shamed and, and, um, ostracized by that and felt like they couldn't really, it's like they, it was either, or, you know, I can go to my doctor's appointments and my therapy appointment and get my medication, or I'm allowed to have all this group of supportive people. And what we know is that people do the best when they have all of the above, you know, just because, um, the nature of addiction is so isolating and, um, full of like people feeling a lot of shame usually. So yeah, the disease
0: wants you to be by yourself. Mm -hmm. It wants you to be alone. It wants you to die. Like that's just, that's what the disease wants you to do. And we speak about it as a disease, just like it would be anything, anything else. Um, you know. There are people who try heroin and do not get addicted to it. There are people who drink alcohol and are not addicted to alcohol. Um, so we're, we're just, I mean, people are playing Russian roulette, I think, with this funding and saying, you deserve this, you deserve that, right? And if it's attached to any sort of incarceration, whether it be a young person or not, um, it becomes worse and worse and worse.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think you know it's the it's the it's the continual fight of of access and people being able to have access. Um, the, I think I just always keep thinking about like we want to like advocate for our clients to have the same access to services that we have or that we would have, whatever that privilege looks like for us, and um, or better to <laughs> yeah you know, or better yeah. And so it's it's hard when you know you do your you know, you're doing the best you can and doing your job and trying to get people in the door somewhere and still kind of knowing that the services that they're receiving aren't, um, as good as they would be if they, um, had different privilege. And, um, it can be really disheartening. I think at times, um, and people get discouraged, you know, they reach out so many times for help. And if they never really have a positive experience, they do just start to kind of internalize that um, that no one cares, you know, and, and like kind of yeah, who, who can blame them, you know, though. right? That's how I, I would feel too. So yeah, I think in Kentucky in
0: particular, um, there's also an education barrier. So I felt like I've had several clients, usually man, men, who can't read,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that becomes an extra accommodation, right, because it's workbooks. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's workbooks and reading and meditating and then doing groups with your workbook. And so I feel like that accommodations are made inside like jail programs. Yeah. Right. Like someone will actually like read to them or something like that. But um, that's that also shouldn't be like one of these barriers that we can't accommodate. Right. Um, You know, it's it's just there's a lot of like very true very real ableism that happens with um, with the barriers to mental health, treatment for substance use disorder. And I mean, I just want to be very clear that like people are not waking up with substance use disorder. There is a spiral of some sort, big, small um, me- medium, right. That mm-hmm. stems from um, extreme poverty, right. Regular poverty, ex- uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, like, this is not – people are not just waking up and being like, let's cool, let's get addicted to heroin and let's see what happens. Um, yeah, I think there are some people like that, but I. it's very – Very it's a rare. Small, it's yeah. a small number of people that I've met throughout my social work career that's like, yeah, you know what? I just I just said fuck it and just went for it, you know? Right. Um, I can literally think of one guy because I was just like digging around, right, in this past and trying to figure out what was going on. But you dig around because – you're trying to find this the source of what's happening and if you don't medicate right then you're not gonna, you're not allowing that person to shift off the drug right right the focus has been on the drug for so long because of the addiction that they, they lose themselves they have to find themselves again and these are long long processes absolutely um and we're just we're yeah when we make especially people on medicaid when we make their services like the last resort and the last priority and the worst of the worst then we're, we're i mean the things that the things you could say about the united states as a nation is just horrifying mm-hmm. you know um but i you know in particular with spanish-speaking individuals and people who speak portuguese and people who speak you know anything but
1: english in kentucky like
0: that barrier is on all on all levels as far as I can tell. Absolutely. Do you feel the same way?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I think that's one thing that when I was doing um, direct practice in like a healthcare setting, um, there was also a tension around like billable hours. And um, a lot of the social work I had to do wasn't billable, but it was absolutely vital for the client. So, you know, um I can't just give someone who primarily speaks another language a number and tell them to call and refer themselves to something because I, I can't do that ethically knowing that that place does not provide any sort of language accessibility. So I'm basically just giving them a number so I can check something off and feel better, but knowing that they aren't going to be able to get that service that I'm referring to. So um, I had to always do like a lot of things that I think sometimes my administrators wouldn't understand or like, they wouldn't understand why I couldn't see, you know, nine people a day. And I'm like, because I, I can't because I have to do things like that are more case management oriented in order to be able to help this person get to a place of survival, honestly, and, and towards, you know, working towards stability, um, like making a food pantry for helping them um, get their lights on, uh, helping them with their kiddo who's having a mental health crisis at their school you know all of these different systems that we interact with that aren't accessible to the folks that I'm trying to work with like you're not going to get them to get their diabetes controlled or have them taking regular depression meds if everything if they're in survival mode it's just not going to happen
0: yeah I'm shaking my head yes no one can see it but I'm shaking my head yes because it falls under the category of do not give someone a phone number that you have not dialed yourself. Do not refer to anyone to anywhere that you do not know it's going to happen. And it, 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 we all have to do like so many extra steps. Like one person can take up an entire day. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And that, and that's based upon, if we think about it from like a bigger perspective, that's based upon the fact that these systems are set up for people to fail. Um, without knowing, without actually, like, saying that, right? Um, You know, nonprofits are created. All these different places, like, have such great intentions. They're trying to fix a broken thing. But if they don't collaborate or there's a power struggle or something like that or, like, like you're saying, like, you have bosses that are, like, no, you're not meeting your quotas. Like, the only people that suffer are the clients. Absolutely. And, you know, anything, any part where I'm suffering is – is is you know whatever it's kind of like on the back burner i feel like i i it's funny. we're very similar social workers who so have said that before but i used to get in trouble for mm-hmm. the lack of numbers mm-hmm. and i because I, okay well if 10 people succeeded rather than 50 people fail like what what are we doing right, right? um so it takes a lot of time to set someone up with a bunch of resources and then you pro- you definitely need to call them again, right? Mm-hmm. You need to follow up. You need to make sure that that's actually happening. I, I've, do, I've started this thing where when I write someone an email about something, I say, if you don't get the answer, you have to call me, right? Like I need to know immediately that you're not getting what you need. Cause I will solve that.
1: Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um,
0: you know, that's why I've always given out my cell phone. I allow people to text me like, and that's boundary problems for social workers. But at the same time, like in, in the first like three, five, 10 days, right. Especially if someone's detoxing or something like that, like there has to be an advocate ready.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And to be honest, like, I think it's always kind of back to that idea around boundaries and Boundaries being there to keep your clients safe, not to keep you safe from your clients. If that makes any yes. sense, like yes. largely, yeah. I mean, yes, you need to be safe too. But like, if you're using boundaries kind of as a weapon, um, I don't think that's where we need to be. And, you know, when I've given out my cell phone, like in a crisis or something, I have actually never had anyone use it inappropriately. Honestly, No, ever, exactly, ever. And like, if they did, of course, I would have to talk to them about like appropriate use of my cell phone. Yes, but I think yes. sometimes when people like what people call boundaries is actually just conflict avoidance.
0: Ooh, damn!
1: That is two for two for you today. <laughs> yeah. We'll do another part two on boundaries because man, <laughs> I have a lot to say because it's like if you just want to like I remember as a young social worker, like you kind of hide behind boundaries when sure, you're absolutely. when you're new yeah. too you're kind of like you're scared this is the boundary i need clarity everything's messy and stressful like you know but at the same time as you kind of feel more like seasoned um you can kind of figure those boundaries out and how sometimes they do need to adjust and absolutely you need to practice self reflection along with any adjustment of your boundaries to see why you're doing it and what's your purpose and you know what's your intention Um, And at the same time, I think like if you are just too rigid and strict about boundaries, sometimes you don't, you can't meet the clients where they are. Like you're saying, like with someone who's newly in recovery, that's needing a lot of um, support and resources, um, you know, you can really make a difference with them if you're more accessible versus saying, you know, you can only talk to me between eight and four and you cannot call me on my cell phone. You have to call me through this like terrible office you know, intra-office <laughs> telephone system. Right. You have to
0: memorize my phone number, memorize my extension. Um, I'm not going to give you an email address.
1: It's just asking a lot, especially when folks are struggling, you know, and, and having a hard time. You never know. Also, I'm not going to give you any financial
0: support right, for you to get from A to B. I'm not going to give you, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you 25 bucks. Right. So for you to get some like cigarettes or like a pop or, you know, anything like, we're just going to just be like, no, you need to figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And then all your like, like, it's just, I, I, I'm insulted every day by the things that we don't do. Um, and the ways that we do it and the ways that we control people. Um, So, yeah, and you know what? It was making me think about boundaries is like the our all of our previous episodes from like two, three years ago were about boundaries. So, if you if we're going full circle here is kind of the reason why we started the podcast in the first place Mm -hmm. was to like talk about boundaries and ethics, but especially boundaries because it's a there's a lot of discussion in social work world about how to deal with those, Mm -hmm. but we forget the human part of it, um, when we're checking boxes. So it's just, it's just always important to come back around to it. I think. Absolutely. Dang girl.
1: We covered a lot of stuff today. We sure did. <laughs> we sure did I Did you like get some coffee? I did. You could, have, as were always, you ready? I got coffee. Um, good, good. I'm going to go and, uh, pick up a couple of things at my favorite store and um I also feel like one thing we didn't touch on and maybe it's another um further discussion for another show but um the the attention to like millennials versus generation z that's been happening oh my god Um, that's like a whole thing but um (laughs) I just have been cracking up about like all of the memes I've seen around like side parts and skinny jeans and and you know, just it's been a whole thing for me this week. Um a couple of my hairstylist friends have like posted a lot of memes about like side parts are not about age. It's about your face structure. <laughs> it's really cute. Oh wow. Um so oh wow. It's like a whole I I did it, I thought it where do you know like how
0: like is it really just from that BuzzFeed article? But BuzzFeed got it from somewhere. I think
1: it's from TikTok. Like, I think there are some. Oh, right. TikTok, which just drives our culture at this point. Yeah. It was, like, TikTokers were, like, like talking about, yeah, generation. Um, or, sorry, us. Gener- millennials. Which, I'm an elder millennial, for sure. Same. Um, same. But <laughs> it was just really. Anyway, it's been really funny to watch. That's been my entertainment this week. Um. Is like looking at some of the videos around like the differences between Generation Z and um, Millennials. I feel like we should find like um, a young Squadcast or like a younger not like a younger social work podcast and and have a session with them because that I would know. be really fun. I, you know,
0: if you get on Spotify, and of course I want everyone to listen to us as well, but if you get on Spotify, there's a lot of social work podcasts. Oh. Um, and so I do think that we could do like. A little battle
1: royale. Yes, um, so I would love to talk to like um, young millennial social workers or Generation Z social workers and like see how they view the profession because I mean, wait, we're both like what 12, 15 years in mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so uh, we've <laughs> we've been here a minute and so,
0: been doing this. <laughs> yeah,
1: so I would I would love to just like get. Their take on things and and how they approach things and how they view like the same problems that we are still dealing. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe we should do yeah. That. It that would, would
0: I think yeah I would love that too. So maybe um, if you're out there, please hit us up on yes. all socials. But I will probably seek some people out um, and then and then maybe we can get this like maybe anchor can do like four people who knows. Yes. Um, we're going to we'll try and work it out. Um I think that's that's all I got. I mean, I'm excited about this topic. I really appreciate you bringing that up and I'm no offense to anyone about Valentine's Day. I'm just I just Valentine's Day everyday for me. Yes. Um, yes. But yes. I you know, I love the fact that like it is a it is a designated holiday, and it's very sweet and um you know Valentine's Day is a day for love, but love is every day, so absolutely
1: I hope that, that everybody listening does something like lovely and kind for yourself today mm-hmm. um or in tomorrow um and just don't reach out if you're feeling lonely or having a hard time, you know, crisis text lines, always a good resource. And um, we hope that you have a lovely weekend.
0: Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everyone.
1: Bye.